Welcome to the Queen Trail Podcast. Meditation doesn't have to be sitting still and having an empty mind. The journey is such a beautiful thing because we are all on a journey. You want to make sure you have some kind of distribution plan, at least have an idea of it, because you can make this really amazing film and it only gets seen by your family and friends. Old Hollywood is still intact. Every horse runs hard, but when they win, and they know it. They've got this little sass about them. It was pretty rough. I had to go into the water and with my med pack, swim to the beach, treat these guys, put them on my back, swim out to the helo. And I'm like, oh my God, I've never seen those before. And I said, what are those? And before I could even finish the sentence, she said, oh my God, you didn't touch them, did you? Even if monarchs go away and we never see one again, because there never will be monarchs again if they die out, it is just a little indicator of larger threats my dad said, so what were you guys doing in the desert? And I said, we were taking nude photos. Hey everyone, welcome back. I hope you had a great week since the last time that we got together. I had such a great week. I've been trying to be really super consistent about getting out there and exercising every single day, especially after Korea, where we were walking you know, like our first day, we walked 11 miles. And <laughs> I know that sounds completely crazy. I don't expect to walk that much, but I would like to get outside and walk a whole lot more now that my knee is better. It still bothers me, but I'm not going to let it stop me. I have been getting out almost every single day. And it's just amazing out there right now. I'm really fortunate to have these beachside trails, like five minutes from my home. And it's absolutely breathtaking right now because there's this super bloom going on and it's absolutely breathtaking. It's so awesome, especially right now to be enveloped in these seven foot tall explosions of flowers. And I kind of feel like a little kid inside of a kaleidoscope and it's just kind of heaven to me. This one day we're walking along these cliffs and this peahen was just sitting there on the trail. And I have to say, there's a lot of peacocks around here. And it's a little scary because they're so big, right? You come up upon them and you're just like, are these things gonna like peck me to death? I don't think I've ever actually heard of them being violent birds. And my experience has been that you get close enough to them, they kind of run away. So Anyway, we're walking on this trail and, and they're beautiful, right? They're just gorgeous. I mean, even the peahens, they have those cute little feathers, that, that little mohawk crown that comes off of the top of their heads. And she didn't move until we got really close. She just walked very calmly. She was like our little ambassador leading us along this trail until we got to the second trail that was going to lead us down to the ocean. So it was really magical, like surreal, something out of a fairy tale. And if you check out my Instagram page, there's a video there. The thing that brought me back to reality is that as we're walking along this path, there's this totally graffitied staircase, like some relic from Oz <laughs> that landed in the middle of the shore and had been overtaken by, you know, all of this vegetation that's growing around it and climbing vines and palm trees and whatnot. It's like a total trip. And I really wanted to climb on it and just check it out a little bit more closely. But 
I've got a shoulder injury that I haven't talked about at all. Mostly, I think, because I would like it to go away. And I was a little bit worried about injuring my knee. And I literally felt like an old lady. I'm like, oh, I never think of myself as the age that I am. I'm always like perpetually 20 years old or 19 or whatever. And it was really aggravating that I could not get on this damn thing. So I'm hoping that getting back into daily exercise that now that my knee allows for it and I can start climbing mountains and scrambling up on top of the stuff that I want to get on top of. The week ended with the annual Kentucky Derby. I don't know if you watched it, but uh, we had a Kentucky Derby hat party with my girls weekend girls. We all go on these crazy adventures. We don't do spa days. We do like transcontinental trail type stuff. <laughs> We're like, we come back with stories about how we almost died. Um, and it also happened to be one of the girl's birthdays, Sherry. So we celebrated both of those. Um, I was not sure that I was going to make it because my ADD kicked in. I totally mismanaged my time. I had stuff I needed to get done and I needed to be there by like one o'clock and I didn't stop until 12. I hadn't taken a shower yet. I didn't have the food I needed to take. I didn't even have a hat. We were supposed to, to make hats. And so I decided to bake this sort of Cinco de Mayo derby cake at the very last minute. And I just didn't allot enough time to get ready, bake this cake, and get over to where I needed to go. So <laughs> I got the cake taken care of, got it in the oven, got myself ready. I walked back into the kitchen and there is smoke. The other day, I put a pizza in the oven and it was a very, very thin crust pizza. Normally, if I'm going to put a pizza in there, I just put it directly right on the rack. But sturdy enough. Uh, this pizza folded over the edges and all of the cheese just plopped down to the bottom of the oven and my fire alarm went off. It was crazy. And my fire alarm, I just found out, actually says, fire, proceed to the nearest exit. Fire, proceed to the nearest exit. <laughs> Fortunately, the cake was not burning. I think that, you know, I had cleaned up everything off the bottom, but maybe there was a little residual and that's what was smoking. Anyway, I got myself to the party. I even made a hat. Years ago, I went to opening day at Santa Anita Racetrack and they were giving out these really cute horse plushies. So I wrapped some tool around my horse and put it on my head. <laughs> And it worked out. We had such a great time. But speaking of friends, I am so happy to invite you to grab a cuppa and enjoy this second part of my In the Company of Friends talk with my longtime dear friend, Ed Thompson. We grew up together, going through school together, and I'm really lucky to still keep in touch with this amazing human being. So please enjoy. Wow. And that just kind of fell in your lap. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, when I was working with Boom, that was out in Colorado and I was spending a lot of time from home. I liked working for the company. It's a great company to work for. And 
the people they hire, the techs out in the shop were very talented. I learned a lot from the guys. They, they were doing amazing work and I loved working with them, very professional guys. But we kind of finished that plane. It was finished building it anyways. So that was winding down and I was looking to get another job in Mojave and I was talking with uh, Stratolot about working on their hypersonic vehicle. And they're working on some really exciting stuff. And their package that they offered me was uh, the benefits were great, but the pay wasn't quite what I was used to making. And I wasn't very excited about going backwards in pay. Mm -hmm. And so I called this company that I had placed a bid with about a year ago. It's actually over like a year and a half ago now. And I was like, hey, any movement on that? And this was just about three days before I was supposed to start with Stratolaunch. And he says, oh, yeah, I was going to call you. We just found out yesterday when the bid came through and we got the job. Oh, my God. And then that's the one that came with the hangar and all this work and everything. And so I called Stratolaunch. I was like, you know, sorry, I'm going to go do my own thing. And they said, well, great. Good luck with it. And I started working there in Mojave and it's just taken off. And I got a couple guys working for me now and uh, all the work I can handle. I probably got at least six months worth of work lined up. Nice. What's the name of the company? It's called Thompson Composites and Fabrication. Oh, I like that. I just wanted to kind of keep it simple and kind of explain what I do right there in the name. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to concentrate on doing composite works. I'll do fiberglass and carbon fiber and uh, I'll do body and paint because I actually kind of enjoy that and a lot of people don't enjoy that. So a lot of that work ends up coming my way and I'll do metal fabrication also, machining and welding and stuff like that. That's great. So what kind of planes are you working on? Uh, I got a couple projects. Actually, there's three planes in my shop right now. So there's the big plane, which is probably about 40 feet by 40 feet. And it's a vertical takeoff plane, unmanned, that we built a couple of years ago. It's probably about three years ago now. And that plane, that project got canceled. And so that plane, they want to put it on display at Toyota headquarters down there in Gardena, Gardena, Torrance, that area. Yeah. So they want me to reduce the size of it a little bit. I'm going to cut the wings down about uh, 10 feet and take off the outer booms. And then there's a hydrogen fuel cell on board that's currently covered by a carbon fiber canopy. So they want me to replace that carbon fiber canopy with a clear plexiglass canopy to show off all the hydrogen fuel cell on board. Mm -hmm. And then I have to dismantle it and take it down there to Gardena and reassemble it down there. So does Toyota make planes as well? Yeah, they want to, they're kind of dipping their toes in that. So at the same time they were giving us money, they were giving money to a company called Joby up north. And when they canceled our program, they decided to go with Joby, so to speak. And they gave Joby like $300 million. And we were like, ah, oh, can't we just have a few of those million, <laughs> you know, to keep <laughs> us going? But I guess our plane wasn't innovative enough or something. So um, they just kind of canceled that project. But now they're still funding projects, aviation projects of ours. And so the other plane I'm building now is a five-foot airplane. It has about a five-foot wingspan. It's about five feet long, and it's vertical takeoff. And they want it to deliver emergency medical supplies to remote areas. So it'll fly it up to 180 miles an hour and have a range between 50 to 100 miles round trip, depending on how fast they want to go. If you go slower, you can go a lot further. 
and it'll have a payload about the size of a loaf of bread and up to about five pounds is what they're looking now. So it can, it could fly out to you, you know, on the side of a mountain or wherever you are and drop off whatever you need, you know, an EpiPen or some space blankets or some bandages or insulin or whatever you need and then fly back until help can get there, so to speak, you know. That is so innovative. Yeah, because there's a lot of places where you absolutely cannot get to. And so this is also unmanned. Yes, yes. It'll be unmanned. It'll have an onboard camera. You can see what the plane sees. Wow. So these are, are they kind of in the drone category? Yeah. Yes, except they they have wings. So once you get into forward flight, if you have wings, you can use a lot less energy to move along as opposed to some drones, that typical drone that you think of that doesn't have wings and only has propellers. Mm-hmm. Um, they use a lot of energy to still move forward. This one actually has a propeller on each wing and the whole wing rotates upward. And that's how you get your vertical lift. And then it transitions to forward flight and flies more like a traditional airplane once it's in forward flight. This is really cool technology. You know, you just start to think of all of the opportunities and working with search and rescue. Uh huh. I mean, there's just a lot that can be done with that. So are most of the planes that you're working with or you're working on small like this? Um, you know, it really varies. When I was out in Colorado working at Boom, we were working on their prototype, their demonstrator, and that was 70 feet long and 15,000 pounds or something like that. And that was, you know, three jet engines and not unmanned that had a pilot. Mm -hmm. And so that plane's pretty big. And so I kind of work on big planes and little planes, anything that flies. Well, I like cars and motorcycles too, (laughs) still, so... Um, all types of vehicles are, you know, big and small. Yeah. Well, you've always loved motorcycles. I know that, you know, you used to ride those all the time and still do. And, and I saw that really cool, um, I don't know what it was that you made for the desert festival that you went to. Oh, yeah, yeah. We went to Wasteland Weekend. Mm-hmm. We met a guy, his name's Balaam. Real neat guy, and he's one of the guys that helps put on this festival. And it's kind of like a Burning Man. Some of the people that used to work helping put on Burning Man didn't really like where it was going. Um, You know, too many people showing up in their million-dollar RVs and stuff like that. And they wanted to do something a little more back to how Burning Man got started. They put on this festival out, out here in this area now, out in California City. And he invited us out there and we just had a great time. And, and I took the, so I, I had Kim's old forerunner out there in my boneyard. And so I cut the roof off of it and welded it onto our grandkids ATV <laughs> and, <laughs> and just made this little like Mad Max vehicle, but it came out, yep. <laughs> it came out looking almost cartoonish, you know, and somebody said it. Uh, they named it Spaceballs when we were out there because it looked like that guy with the big helmet on the little tiny body. Oh my gosh! And we're, <laughs> it's just, so funny. It, just, it made us laugh so hard that that's that that became its name. So we call it Spaceballs now. I painted it all black and put some skulls on it and some airsoft guns and stuff <laughs> and this old horn and we drove that around i put a cooler on it and we had all our food and drinks with us and drove around the festival it, they build this city out in the middle of the desert and there's about five thousand people to show up and you just kind of tool around everybody loves to barter just an incredible crowd out there 
Yeah, you don't need any money because everybody's just bartering for everything or giving you stuff. At night, everybody builds these like nightclubs and you just kind of go nightclub bouncing one place to another and everybody has a bar and they just give you free drinks. You have to bring your own cup. There's very little waste generated for this whole event. That's awesome. And as long as you have your own cup, they'll fill it up with their jungle juice or whatever they got. They're always trying to outdo each other. (laughs) So everybody's making these delicious drinks. It's a lot of fun. How fun. You're always making innovative machines. I mean, it just seems like from early on, you just kind of had this love of fast machines and not just fast machines, but ones that you can develop, innovate, change, add to. So there's kind of like this creativity that goes on along with everything that you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And it keeps it fun. You know, I I don't want to just sit on a production line and make commercial jets or something like that. I I love to work on innovative vehicles. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite? Um, you know, it's really hard to say because there's so many cool vehicles in, in you know, like the Icon was really a beautiful little airplane and and it was a lot of fun. Um, one of the guys that I worked with there at Icon has now started a electric motorcycle company and he's making a it's just a gorgeous little motorcycle. It's more of a city bike, so it's not real fast. I think it'll do about 55 or 60, and it's made more for getting around the city. And I just talked to him the other day about maybe taking one of his bikes and customizing it, and he was all on board. He says, hell yeah, you know, give me a call when you're not so busy. Oh, that'll be cool. And I don't think he started delivering vehicles yet. He's taking orders for them, um, but... Uh, I think after he's delivered some and has a little inventory, maybe I won't be so busy and we could do a little customizing on one of them. That would be a lot of fun. I I love motorcycles. I love cars and I love airplanes and everything else in between. So I don't know if I have a favorite. Yeah, it just sounds like collaborative effort is is really what kind of drives it too, you know, because you, you're putting it together so many ideas and just kind of going okay, I've got this, what can you add to it to make it better? And and that always is kind of exciting. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so I used to say as long as I had a motor, you know, but it doesn't really have to have a motor, I guess. But um, as long as it goes, it usually gets my attention. And usually the faster, the better, although our little space balls didn't go very fast and we had a lot of fun <laughs> with, with, with that thing. Sometimes it's all about the experience. It's not necessarily the power or what something can do. You know, like if what it does is allow you to really enjoy yourself, that's really what you want. Yes. Yeah, definitely. That's so cool. So what do you see in your future? Well, I I would really love to build my shop. So I've only been in this shop for a few months now, since about the beginning of the year. And the big plane is taking up most of my shop. You know, my shop's only about 40 by 40. So this plane is about wall to wall (laughs) in there and really taking up a lot of space. And I have a lot of equipment that I'd like to take down to the shop and get it set up more so I can build whatever I want. And so I would love to build some sort of flying machine. Maybe with some of my contacts someday, we can build something. I've always been kind of enamored by the idea of a vehicle that could drive down the road and fly in the air. Oh, wow. Um, You know, I call them flying machines. Mm -hmm. But if I could build something like that, I think that that would really be neat. Maybe with your hero guy that you were talking about. Yes. Who uh, seems to be doing some something similar to that. Yeah, yeah. 
Maybe. His vehicle, he hasn't flown it yet. He's driven it on the road and he hasn't flown it yet, but I think he's going the right direction. Mm -hmm. And he put me in contact with a flight instructor down there near Burbank, who is a gyrocopter pilot. Mm. And I've always liked the idea of using a rotable gyrocopter, so to speak. The wings are so much smaller and you're not going to go really fast with the gyrocopter. They're limited to about a hundred miles an hour in the air. Uh, but that's, you know, that's fast enough. And you could still go over a lot of traffic at 100 miles an hour. In LA, 100 miles an hour would be pretty good. Yeah, I worked in automotive for a short time. And we had some pretty fast cars. And the new buyer would get in there and they would drive through the parking lot for a very short distance really fast, just excited to get it on the street. And then they were stuck in traffic. And it's like all of that power and you can't do anything with it because there's so much traffic in LA. And these freeways, it doesn't matter what time of the day, for the most part, you're on them, there is a lot of traffic. And when you're stuck in gridlock, you really are on a big parking lot. And so it seems like what's next has to be a vehicle that can take off, but then what are going to be the rules and regulations that go around that? If there's enough people who are flying them, how do you keep them from having midair collisions that they're going yeah. to affect the people underneath and yeah. that sort of thing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll have to see. You know, right now they stick to typical pilot rules, but there's no roads in the sky and you can just about go wherever you want. Um, but you have to pay attention because you don't want to, you could run into somebody and that does happen every now and then. Right. So yes, as, as the skies, there's a lot of people building uh, vertical takeoff air taxis right now. And in a few years, I think we're going to start to see a lot of those coming online. Some of them are going to be unmanned. You know, they have self-driving cars. They're going to kind of have self-driving airplanes that'll watch out for you. Um, and you know, vehicles now, almost all airplanes now have transponders in them. So they'll be, they'll kind of know where each other are and keep an eye out for each other, so to speak, you know? Mm -hmm. And I know that there's also communities have been popping up here and there where they're off of an airstrip and people are using their commuter planes, like a car to get to and from, you know, or like you said, these companies that start out in the desert and then move up to San Francisco or something. And so uh, people are flying in and out to work. Yeah. Yeah. There's a little community right out towards us but down on the desert floor, about a dozen homes that all share this runway. So I don't know how they developed it. Somebody was in charge of that development, but they all have like a hangar in back of their house and store the airplane there. And it's just a little neighborhood and they all just take off and land right there and then pull into their hangar, which is like a big garage. And that's kind of neat. You know, it seems like it'd be a neat little neighborhood to live in. Yeah. I mean, it's a nice idea because it allows you to work far away from your home and not have to deal with the limitations of driving a car or trying to get from point A to point B on land. Because you know, if you fly as the crow flies, it really shortens up that distance and allows you more access to a greater area. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And typically airplanes fly faster than cars to begin with, you know, uh, 200 miles an hour in a small plane is not uncommon. And then think about can go as the crow flies and really make up some distance real fast. Yeah, for sure. My big thing is once you land, well, then what? You know, how are you going to drive around? And so that's why I've always thought of some sort of 
flying car or motorcycle is kind of cool because then you could convert it and then just start driving around down in the city or wherever you end up. Yeah, that's why that idea of that motorcycle you were talking about with the wings and the sail and, and all of that sounds so amazing. It's just developing it in a way where it's uh, functional for the city. Yeah. You know, because you can't have that the wings or the sail on it, but, you know, something else, like you said, the, you know, like a motorcycle would be ideal. Yeah, I'll send you a picture of it. Yeah, that's really cool stuff that you're working on. <laughs> I think so. You know, you're very adventurous as well. I mean, like everything that we said, and I think it was last year you went hang gliding for the first time. Yes, yes, down in Brazil. How is that? So, um, well, first of all, I got to say, I I love Brazil. <laughs> it's just this beautiful country with beautiful people. And everything is, is very affordable, which means you don't have to have a lot of money to go down there and have a good time. And we made some friends there. Kim and I would just, I mean, no matter what you do, you're having a good time. You know, they're wow. beautiful beaches and you could live like a king down there for a hundred bucks a day for a couple, you know, and that's, I mean, just this gorgeous Airbnb right on the beach and delicious food. And so we made some friends down there. And the lady that uh, we rented the Airbnb from, she said, hey, my brother gives hang gliding lessons if you'd like to try that. I'm like, heck, yeah, I'd like to try that, (laughs) you know. (laughs) And um, it could be a little scary because they have this giant mountain that's like a rock. It's just this huge rock that juts up into the sky. And they drive you up there and you're just going up, 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 up. And then when you get to the top, you just have this amazing view over Rio de Janeiro and you're at the beach and you have a view over the whole city. And they have what looks kind of like a rooftop and you're with the instructor and you do a practice run first. And he says, okay, when I say run, you got to just run as fast as you can. And you like run off the <laughs> rooftop right off this cliff. And, oh my God. and that's the most dangerous part. Because if you chicken out right at the end and stop running, then you guys could crash right there. And it could be very dangerous. So you have to commit, you know. And so he says, are you good? I said, I'm good. And he says, okay, let's go. And you get up there on this rooftop and you run as fast as you can. And you jump off this cliff. Seconds later, you're about a thousand feet up because it's so steep. You're just instantly up there. And hang gliding was just an amazing experience because it's so quiet. You just feel like a bird. Wow. I've been in gliders before and I thought gliders would be quiet, but they're not really that quiet. In a glider, you use the wind noise to let you know what the air is doing. So you're always looking for thermals and stuff. And so you want the wind noise. But the glider is just quiet and you're just gliding around. Just you feel like a bird up there and it lasts for about 15, 20 minutes. And then you come and land on the beach and they have these uh, restaurants and bars right there on the beach. And you kind of land right in front of everybody. And you have to you have to run when you land. Also, they say hit the ground running. Right. And now I know what they mean, because a lot of people they don't get that part down. And what happens is you kind of just do a face plant in the sand face plant, <laughs> <laughs> and you bring the instructor down with you. And it's, it's the opposite of graceful. And you're doing it in front of all these people that are just sitting there watching you with their drinks in hand, you know? Right. This and, is uh, their entertainment yeah. for the day. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and we, we ended up being one of those people after I landed. I said, well, let's just kick back here and they have these delicious mojito drinks down there that they love to serve Oh, my God. You. And uh, you just sit on this beautiful beach and watch people come in for a landing. 
luckily I didn't embarrass myself and I did a beautiful landing. Good for you. It probably helped to have all of that avionics background and understanding the physics of motion and all of that kind of stuff. But I mean, you could still freeze up and face plant, but that's really cool that you didn't. Yeah, I think not being afraid to fly was, uh, you know, small planes, you kind of get used to just being in a, a small little vehicle and up there in the air. So uh, yeah, I wasn't really afraid. I really enjoyed the experience. And the whole thing with instruction and you have to get a permit from the government, you go through this little office and the whole experience was and just added to our whole Brazil experience. Yeah. Did Kim do it as well? <laughs> no, she's not quite, <laughs> quite as adventurous as I am, but she had a great time drinking mojitos on the beach and watching people land or not land. And how brave of these instructors. I mean, you just have to imagine how many times somebody's face planted and made them face plant too. And then they have to go back and go <laughs> with the next person. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, and, and you don't really get hurt because you're on the sand and you're, you're not going that fast. I don't know. It seemed like a pretty good job. They just, they'd, they'd stay busy all day and these guys make a living at it just hang gliding all day basically so it it didn't didn't look too bad even even with the rough landing I think they were okay oh my god that's so funny um have you parachuted no I haven't parachuted yet um I'd probably do it if it came up but it hasn't been anything that I've really went out seeking you know Mm -hmm. Um, I had a gosh, I must have been like 20 or something. I had a boyfriend who was a parachuter. So I had the opportunity to do a tandem jump out of a plane with an instructor, not with him. Uh And that was pretty intense because it does take a lot of courage and trust. I guess it's the trust. It's not so much the courage, but the trust and the faith. And I, I think the scariest part really is just taking that step out of the airplane, or like you said, taking that step off of the cliff. And then you're afraid for a couple of seconds. And then it's like, whoa, this is kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's not parachuting or well, the tandem jump was not as quiet, because you, you are falling through the air, you know, and then you've got that when you know, the parachute is released, there's that pop, And then after that, it's quieter. But I don't Uh think that it's the same still as the gliding experience that you had. Yeah. I think that it's like different because of the aerodynamics, like you're actually cutting through the air, whereas with a parachute, you're falling down. And (laughs) so it's different dynamics that are going on there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I I think you should try it. I think it would be fun. I don't know that... um, I don't think I would try a bungee jump, but I've never paraglided. I think that I would like to do that. And then, you know, maybe even parasailing looks kind of fun. But there's so many experiences that you can do with flying. And I think now that I'm sitting here mentioning all of these different experiences that really kind of make people afraid sometimes, you know, when you, you tell somebody and they're like, oh, God, no, I would never do that. I think growing up flying or growing up having a love for these different machines, the motorcycles, the cars, and, you know, eventually the airplanes with you um, really takes a lot of fear out of what might happen and brings in a lot of curiosity into the possibilities of what might happen. So you're, you're looking at it 
from not a fear-based place, but a curiosity-based place. And that allows you to just set that fear aside and try so many different things. Because I I honestly have very few fears. Um, Unfortunately, like in my late life, I have gotten claustrophobia and I do my best to like I forget that I have it because I was never claustrophobic until I had to go into an MRI machine a few years ago and it just I I just got it and and it makes me so mad that I've got claustrophobia it's like wait where did this come from how do I get rid of it yeah 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 I can imagine that you know as we get older your body starts to go through changes Mm mm-hmm and you're like, man, I was, you know, I, I was fine as a teenager. Why now that I'm in my mid fifties, why, why am I not fine anymore? But right, we do go through changes. I haven't been riding motorcycles as much as I would like to. And I do plan to do quite a bit of riding this summer though. So we'll see uh, if I'm still as fast as I used to be. <laughs> Is it the winter? Um, well, that and all my motorcycles end up being projects. So, oh. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I do a lot less riding in the winter. Um, but, you know, going back to the fear thing, my dad always taught me to be a very safe motorcycle rider. He called it not riding over your head. So basically don't ride over your abilities. And I spent years getting faster and faster and faster and hardly ever crashed. Very few accidents. You know, I, I'd have a few every now and then, but but not very many at all. I was never a big crash. And yet, uh, one of the most exciting things I ever did was get on one of my dad's race bikes and it could do a hundred miles an hour in the dirt Wow! and doing a hundred miles an hour down a dirt road on two wheels is just one of the most exciting things I've ever done. And I was never afraid because you kind of work up to it, you know? And I think I kind of brought that along with other things. As long as you're using your head and doing it in a smart way, most of the time you're not going to get hurt. Yeah. There's there's still a chance that you're going to get hurt, um, but I think the risk is worth it because, you know, I don't want to just stay in the library my whole life. You know, you want to get out, <laughs> do some exciting stuff and do it as safely as possible so that you can do more of it. And getting hurt's no fun. It really isn't. It takes all the fun out of it, you know. Exactly. So as long as you can do that and not get hurt, it keeps it a lot more fun. That's really good advice because, you know, we get so hung up on getting from point A to point Z, you know, the first time that we get on something or the first time that we try something. And there's a lot of steps in between the people that are making anything seem effortless have spent a lot of time getting there and perfecting their technique understanding the mechanics of what they're doing, etc. So I mean, that was really good advice from your dad, but really great that you pointed out, you know, being able to ride that motorcycle on this unstable dirt road at 100 miles an hour without fear of getting injured or crashing into something and, you know, knowing that that risk is there, but being able to enjoy yourself despite that all came because you took the time to actually get to that point where you were in control and knew what you were doing. Yeah. You know, one time it was, uh, my dad used to race desert back in the seventies and back then desert racing was huge. They would have like 
three, four, five thousand people that would start this race out in the middle of the desert. Wow. And it, he used to take me sometimes to a nearby mountain to watch the race. And you would just see these riders all take off at once and like, little ants and just thousands of them you know and um and sorry was it was it all motorcycles yeah yeah all motorcycle races yeah and uh my dad was pretty fast at back in his day he would win some of those races overall wow but one time he saw this guy that was um that was just faster than everybody else out there the guy won the race finished it and had his bike loaded up by the time the second place guy came in across the finish line And my dad went up and talked to him. I remember he said, man, you're just so fast out there. He said, what's your secret? Why are you so fast? And the guy said, well, uh, just don't get in a hurry. (laughs) And I always thought that was funny. And now you start to understand what he says, because the fastest guys are the calmest guys, it seems like. They're in control and they're, you kind of get in calm state where you don't get rushed, you know, and you don't get in a hurry. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's kind of funny to think about the guys that are going the fastest or the guys that are in the least hurry. They're the least rushed. Yeah, there's a lot of strategy that goes into that. And I know that even the ones that are in a rush are probably doing a lot of planning, but you have to get into a particular headspace to be a winner. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think the fastest guys already won in their head before the race even started, you know? Mm-hmm. That's so cool. Have you done those races? Uh, no, I, I, I haven't done a lot of racing. I just enjoy going out there and riding. I don't really have to, it doesn't have to be a race. Mm-hmm. I, I love getting out there with some friends and riding with buddies, especially if they're good, safe riders. It doesn't have to be a race. I just get out there and, and just have fun. Are you doing mostly street riding or is it all desert? Uh, no, I, I do street riding too. I enjoy them both. They're different. Um, I kind of like the dirt in that there's no rules really. You don't have to worry about getting a ticket or having someone cut you off or anything like that. But I enjoy riding up in the mountains up here. Uh, there's some beautiful riding right out of town up here in Tehachapi. And we ride up to Lake Isabella. And uh, you could ride along the river up the canyon, and that's beautiful riding also. Oh, nice. And uh, I've done some track days out on the track where it's not really a race, but it's in a race environment. You're on the race track, and you're all just kind of out there riding, going as fast as you want to go. And that's a lot of fun. But I enjoy the dirt also. It's different. Um, my dad used to take me down to Baja when I was a little kid into my teenage years, and then we would ride motorcycles all day and you just kind of look at the map and kind of pick a destination where you want to be for lunch and pick a destination where you want to be for <laughs> dinner. And every day you wake up and do the same thing, fill your tank and get some tamales from the lady at the gas station yeah. and just start riding, you know, and, and uh, had a really good time down there. I would sp- spend a week or two just riding all over Baja. How fun. Yeah, that was a, a lot of fun. And down there, you can take your dirt bike on the street and nobody cares. Mm-hmm. So sometimes if there wasn't a way to get there in the dirt, we'd hop on the highway and just ride down the highway on our dirt bike. And, you know, just amazing people down there and amazing weather and amazing rides. Had a lot of good time down there in Baja. Those are the memories that really mold you and give you your spirit. So that's really cool. I know my dad was like, like, it's so much fun listening to you and your stories of you and your dad and you know we didn't do the motorcycle riding but like my dad taught me how to fly and he taught me how to fish and gave me my love of adventure and just getting out there in nature and being curious about it and 
you can't put a price tag on that. It's just magical yeah. to be able to lean back on that, especially now that you've got grandkids and passing that on to them. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny. Some kids are more adventurous than other kids. You know, we have one grandchild. It seems like he'd most of the time rather be playing video games, you know? Mm-hmm. And then the little kid, he was two years old and he's like, let's go, you know? And he wants to be on the ATV all by himself and he's just all gun ho. And, he, you know, he'll play a video game, but you could tell he really wants to go out there and do stuff, you know? Yeah. We grew up in a very different time. I mean, I think, like, I can remember owning a Pong, I think is what it was called, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah, and that was our entertainment, and kids would get bored with that after about 10 seconds nowadays. Yeah. I mean, even back then, it was like five minutes later, it's like, all right, let's go outside and do something, you know? So the technology wasn't there. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think worked towards our benefit because we didn't spend a lot of time inside playing video games. We were, I was out on my bicycle riding, you know, we were riding with our buddies and jumping off loading ramps and jumping off the roof and, you know, doing (laughs) wheelies. And we were just, you know, having a blast out there living life. Yeah. I think that that's what allowed for a lot of this. And so, you know, I hope that I've been able to transfer some of that into my kids. They're older now, um, but definitely had a lot of adventures when they were younger. And I know you're going to be able to do that with your grandkids as well and and still some really exciting things. Because just being able to go out and have that confidence and know that, you know what you're doing and just do something fun away from technology is huge. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. If people want to get a hold of you or come in and visit Thompson Composites and Fabrication, what's the best way for them to do that? I'm on social media, so they could find me there on Facebook or Instagram. They could email me. My email's edthemanthompson at (laughs) gmail.com. I like that. (laughs) Or just pick up the phone. My phone number is 714-746-8233. Any any of those will work. On the social media accounts, are they going to Thompson Composites and Fabrication or to your name? Uh, To my name right now. Cool. And that's E.D. Thompson. Yeah. You're going to end up with like 50 more airplanes in there. At least that's my hope. (laughs) You'd be like, I can't. I'm stacking them on top of each other and there's not enough room here. (laughs) I think that would be awesome. Me too. Um, One of the other things that I always ask my guests is if there is one thing that you would like to share with the world, what would it be? You know, I was married before to my first wife, and she passed away. Her name's Kendra. Oh, sorry. And uh, after she passed away, I really realized that there's only one thing that really matters in life. And, you know, it sounds a little corny, but it's love. And nothing else really matters. That's really the only thing that really matters. And it's the love that we have for each other and... And I think for the planet, for all living things, you know, and uh, I think if you keep that in mind, uh, it makes life a lot more enjoyable. Don't get caught up in the little stuff because it doesn't really matter. It's how we treat each other that really matters. Yeah. Thank you. I am. 
completely agree with that. It's really important because a lot of good comes from that. Yes, it does. Such a great talk. I am so grateful to Ed for taking the time to chat with me and reconnect me with some great memories and just explore awesome machines in life. It's what it's all about. Check out the show notes for selected links. And also, please take a moment to rate this episode because your ratings really do help move this podcast closer to the top of searches so that my friends and I can reach more people. I'm looking forward to sharing more upcoming In the Company of Friends talks with you. So be sure to follow me on the socials and the dot com all at the Queen Trail Podcast. That's T-H-E-Q-U-A-I-N-T-R-E double L-E podcast. I am Syl Annan, the Queen Trail. And until next time, I wish you passion, grace, love, adventure, elegance, and beauty.